part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Welcome back to The Dust podcast. I know you've heard my annoying voice a few times this year, or at least a couple of times this year, but now you have the person who actually makes sense when they talk about His Dark Materials with me. It's Holly, double H. I'm Double M. We're with you to talk about Season 3, Episode 1, and Season 3, Episode 2 of His Dark Materials, the first episode entitled The Enchanted Sleeper, written by Amelia Spencer and Jack Thorne. Amelia Spencer's an up-and-coming writer, by the way, directed by Amit Gupta, and same grouping for the second episode, Season 3, Episode 2, The Break. So... Wonderful to have his dark materials back in our life. The timing is a little weird for this podcast, considering that we've got with the holidays and everything being a little crazy, but we're going to do our best to cover everything for you. Not only are the holidays a little weird to try and do this over, but the schedule is weird as well, Holly. I mean, we're talking about the fact that we're getting the first four episodes before the UK gets a single episode, and then they will get their episodes aired on television one at a time, starting, I think, the 18th. Yet, at the same time, they will also get all of the episodes in one dump on BBC iPlayer, uh, which means by that point, see, so we're going to be ahead now and then dreadfully behind later uh, but we've got our own things to worry about, so we're just going to try and go at the two-episode-a-week pace that HBO and HBO Max is giving us. By the way, Holly, welcome back. It's been a while. You want to tell everybody how you've been you know, uh, avoiding the cold by staying south and, and giving care to animals and, and all of those wonderful things that haven't allowed you to do a single podcast for this particular <laughs> podcast in two years. Well, I mean, you, you said it all. That's basically what I've been up to. Um, Yeah. I'm really thrilled to have um, this series back. It's based on one of my favorite book trilogies. And um, if you're just joining us for the first time, so I'm a big fan, um, got dragged Matt along um, to podcast about this show after Game of Thrones ended. And um, and now it's already almost over it's it's this is it last season but anyway thrilled to be back i think it was a great first two episodes and i'm looking forward to how it plays out and i really don't think it's fair that we get to see it before the uk it doesn't feel right but i guess y'all are going to catch up with us i'm fine watching it week to week and i wish i only had one episode a week to talk about honestly it's kind of my preferred method for taking in these tv shows i like nowadays i like to sit and think about them for a little while um so i don't love that we're rushing through it right before the holidays when everybody's busy i really feel like the show is not getting the attention it deserves so that's my critique about it being on right now but um otherwise i'm really super stoked to be back and i hope a lot of you guys are out there along with us for the ride I blame Chip and Joanna Gaines and the flagship for them, the Discovery Channel and the Discovery Takeover uh, for, I think, uh, and again, this is reckless speculation, 
Sean. But I think that they're probably intentionally trying to wreck their relationship with BBC for whatever reasons. And I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Uh, but that's just, again, reckless speculation. But that's just what I'm saying. Uh, I'll say a lot more as we go along as well. Why don't we get into our ratings, Holly? Let's get this done uh, because you've got places to be uh, across the country. You're, you're on a world tour here. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get to rating season three, episode one. And of course, we are part of the Double P Media Network. So you we must rate things in terms of doubles. You want to go first, Holly, or me? I'll let you go first, Matt. All right. Well, I being a big company guy, can't just do doubles. I have to do triples. And so even though my rating's not high, my double rating is high. Uh, 8.4 out of 10, what I like to call triple Ps. Triple Ps? Yeah, that stands for pair of purple pajamas. Forget the of in the <laughs> middle there. And uh, man, this first episode just felt slow to me. I know there's a lot of exposition to get through. Uh, I feel like that maybe they were trying to catch up an audience. They were hoping to get a new audience maybe or something like that. And we're trying to catch some of this up. Um, the scenes between Azrael and Gunway felt slow to me. I especially, especially felt spent, we spent way too much time having Will just be followed around by angels without saying anything or doing anything. There were too many montages in this episode. Um, it's just, will using the alethiometer that he has no clue how to use nor ability uh just because he can wield a knife doesn't mean that the dust touch him touches him in that way either uh to me the appearance of york at the end really saved it a lot but that's my rating for episode one what did you think of episode one for this episode episode one i gave it an eight out of ten triple w's oh you're doing that wait wait triple w's Triple W's, uh, world wandering will. <laughs> <laughs> I think where you may have found it was oh, the episode was a little bit slower. I appreciated, um, a little bit more of the world building. And my criticism of the book, um, is actually it, it is about so many worlds, it's so big in scope, but the our view of it as a reader is really narrow. And I think the show um allows us to maybe just kind of get a better picture of how big the world is and and what it means. So I really uh, appreciated a lot of these little dives with uh Asriel, you know, on his missions and um meeting a gunway. And that's not something we really get in the book. So uh I liked I really appreciated that and um and um travels going watching him actually go from world to world and cutting window after window and then how they aged as well um you know it um it made it feel like wow he's been doing this for a while he's been looking for Lyra for a while and it just it just felt bigger uh overall so i really appreciated that about the episode so your 8.0 is probably slightly higher than my 8.4. We're just on maybe different so. Scales. I think you tend. I think you tend to rate a little bit higher. Um, I never rate anything often... lower than a seven, Holly. Never lower uh, than a seven. That's never. true. And I, I rarely rate anything below a seven, but I'm not above it. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You never rate it lower, but you're not above it either. I'm not okay. above it. <laughs> yes, right on. Well, let's what let's talk about season three, episode two as well, and just go ahead and give our ratings for this up front, and then we'll kind of break the stories down as we go uh, separately. But uh, do you want to give me your rating for season three, episode two first, or me first? Yeah, 
I'll go first. Um, I gave this episode an 8.5 out of 10 double G's. Double G's? Gross Gomez. Oh. I don't like that character. I really liked this episode. I really do not like that character. We can get into that later, though. Um, I This one definitely picks up on the action uh, and moves the story forward a little bit. If we have to get these episodes in, like clumps of two uh this was a really good starting pair because it felt like we had like a nice little beginning and end at least for the lyra uh marissa you know journey for now um so i liked that about this episode kind of ending that little arc there again more angels and more all kinds of great things new things that have not we don't we haven't been introduced to until now we got galavespians and um, I can't even think of all of the things right now. There's so there was so much stuff. Um, different worlds and angels, good angels, bad angels, crazy, yeah. crazy stuff. I might also forewarning. I might also get these episodes mixed up. It's really bad watching them t- together. So apologies, apologies in advance if I characterize something in the from the wrong episode. Yeah, well, I think it's going to happen to a lot of people. You know, an interesting thing, uh, some friends of ours from another podcast called Measures of Truth. Now, they got these episodes as a screener, right? They get some of the episodes in advance. But there was no defining end credits or beginning stuff. Mm. Uh, So to them, that montage at the end of episode one just seemed like this big mess in the middle of a, of a long episode, which seems really uh, horrible, a horrible way to ingest it. So at least we got, we did get definitions and the way that those worked, you know, with the montage at the end of the first episode uh, really helped it to flow into the, it being two episodes just happening to air at the same time. I'm glad we didn't get screeners for this, Holly, to be perfectly honest. But I gave this particular episode, because I can rate it separately, uh, an 8.7 out of 10, what I like to call triple M's. Triple M's? Yeah, Mangled Magisterium Mercenaries. I love it when York uh, decides to tear up a human being. Loved it in season one. Uh, Was rooting for it, actually, in the first episode. That probably brought some of my rating down, too, because I was hoping he'd really do a lot more damage there. But, you know, when Will's around and he's got a a knife that can even cut through York's armor, then I guess he has to calm down a little bit. Here, he didn't have to calm down. That really helped. Everything picked up, as you said. I really like that. There's lots more crying in this particular episode for reasons uh but that will probably be a big barometer uh for my rating this final season plus we got some mary malone uh which always helps greatly even though she did absolutely nothing in this episode except for well that's kind of for book spoilers which we'll do at the end of the podcast uh but i found it to be uh her practicing for something let me just put it that way I thought that she was doing very well with that. And just the the glorious face of Mary Malone, scientist who relies on magic in order to travel between worlds, something that she never thought she could do. Uh, It's always great to see her. Now, ladies and gentlemen, at the Double P Media Network, which the Dust Podcast is part of, we like to say, who cares what we think? We care what you think. Bubba says that. I actually say that we should care what we think. Otherwise, we shouldn't be speaking it at all. Now, on Holly's behalf, I know that she doesn't care a single thing about what I think. 
but I do care about what she thinks. Uh, at any rate, we do care what you think. That's the most important thing. So tweet to at the dust podcast. You can check us out on hive just in case Twitter ends up going down. Matt's audio blog is how you find us on hive. That's M A T T S audio blog on hive. You can use that same spelling for email. We used to have a, the dust podcast email, but don't do that. Send it to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. M A T T S audio blog at gmail.com. You can also leave comments on our website, which is mattsaudioblog.com. You can uh, find our videos on the Double P Media YouTube. Very important that our bosses get those clicks because you can only get a stake at Ugly Betty's uh, for the amount of 23,000 video shots. And, and Bubba lives high on the hog, so he needs the money. Be sure to find YouTube. Uh, their channel is youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Or you can simply use these new YouTube handles that are out now, youtube.com slash at the word double, the letter P, the word media. You can find Double PHQ on Twitter, Hive Social, and Instagram. Use that same spelling for their Facebook page, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ, which stands for podcast headquarters or you can check out their website doublepmedia.com folks if you send us feedback you're going to be entered into a contest and i have the contest prizes right here with me hang on just a second you could win a mrs coulter funko pop you could win a mrs folk coulter funko pop how do you do that you just send us a feedback any feedback whether you hate or love the podcast whether you hated or loved an episode you can submit three-word submissions. We play a game called Three Words, where you try to describe an episode in three words. That's not all. You can win something else, too. It's a Lee Scoresby Funko Pop. So we've got Lee Scoresby. We've got Mrs. Coulter. Who doesn't want to take one of these home with us? Unless, of course, you purchased these two years ago when they first came out, and you don't need another one. Understood that. But please, we'd love to hear from you. And we're going to reward you sending us feedback by giving these away at the end of the season, we will have everybody's name on a wheel. Holly will say spin. I will hit the spin button and we will see together who wins one of those and then who wins the other one of them as we go along. Now, there are other contests that we like to do around here, but these are just between me and Holly. And these are our top five character moments of the first two episodes. Holly is probably completely unprepared for this because I dropped it into the dock right in the last minute, but I did put it in bold so that she would be sure it would be something that she would see. Uh, she'll probably yell at me for not putting it at the top of the dock like she often does for our House of the Dragon podcast. Nonetheless, this is what we're going to do. We're going to think of five moments apiece, uh, ranked from five to one as to what were the best moments. I have mine written down because I am prepared that's the way that I go. Do you want me to go first, Holly, or you? Okay, how are we even defining a character moment? Like, is it just like a, like, does that have to, mm -hmm. Asking too many questions. Just pick something and say it. It's all going to qualify. <laughs> um, Stelmaria. You mean a as her as a character or a moment that she had? I, I guess... 
or maybe just for scolding Azrael because he can't clear his mind. That's it. But like it was it was across multiple. I think it was across a couple of scenes where I just liked her putting Azrael in his place. Um, you know, Azrael is he's a cool guy. Uh, he has done a lot. Um, he just manages to like walk into a world and like, boom, I got I got everything we need. Let's go. Um, but Stelmaria, uh, they say Stel Maria in the show, but I'm going with the way I've always heard it in my head. Uh, so Stelmaria, sorry uh, if that bothers anybody, but no, yeah, Stelmaria scolding Azrael was the best. Um, yeah, loved it. I'm gonna call it Stelmaria also just because you did, and I Aww. can hide behind you as a shield. My number five moment is the Baroque and Bathalmus kiss mm, very nice i love i love to see love on screen so that uh, made me very happy uh what was your number four holly my number four moment is is will and lyra holding uh, lyra holding will's hand at the oh no it's lyra standing up in front of uh will when um she has the gun <laughs> Lyra standing in front of Will to protect him uh, from Mrs. Coulter's gun. That is an excellent choice. My number four uh, was uh, the monkey conking Mrs. Coulter in mm. the head. Uh, yes. Finally, after all the times that she's wonked him in the head, he gets to exact a little bit of revenge. Love that. What was your number three moment, Holly? Marissa and Pan's conversation while um, when he's begging her to let them wake up and, and, and let them go. And just oh, their little moment. It was yeah, sad. That was that was pretty bad. Uh, my number three is uh, Ama using a magistrate oh. soldier as a uh, jungle gym. Loved that. Loved her coming back and, and saving them. Uh, that was a beautiful moment. I, I loved, I've, I, I wish she'd have gone along with him. I really wish that she'd have gone along with him because she is just an adorable character. Absolutely loved her. Me too. What was your number two moment, Holly? Uh, my number two moment was Marissa Coulter and Father Gomez. <laughs> I like how she tried just from the whole thing, from how she tried to play him uh, until she gave herself away. And then she kind of gave up uh, and then she was but she was still in it until uh, and then knocked him out. That was that was that was great. Loved it. Excellent. In it to win it. That's what Mrs. Coulter was. She stayed in it to win it. Love it. And uh, my number two is uh, York doesn't like guns very much. Love seeing him take out all I, everything. All of my great moments are, seem to be anti-magisterium. Uh, anytime somebody's doing something to distract or to hurt a magisterium person, uh, then I'm all for it. Uh, York, what is Holly? This is I can't text about York to anybody. I, I guess I could have sent you a text the other night, but I didn't know if you'd be had to even watch the episode yet or anything. I tried doing text to speech. With the name York, I got York, I got Uric with a Y U R I C H, uh, I got Uric with a U R I C H. I could not get York to come out in my uh, text to speech or speech to text uh, transcriber in my phone. 
get a better name, York. Get a better name. <laughs> but you still get number two for me. Uh, Holly, we're down to number one. So what was your number one? Marissa Coulter and Will Perry. That, that whole the, the this I guess the set both scenes were really great, but the second scene uh, at the end with you know with the knife breaking that was that was powerful. She really got in his head to the point yeah, where uh, the he couldn't even cut between worlds. That was really good. <laughs> you alluded to it earlier, but then you pulled it back. Uh, but my number one is Lyra and Will holding hands at the end. That was fantastic. I loved, loved, loved that moment. Also hated, hated, hated that moment uh, because, you know, reasons. And reasons. and uh, that's one of those things that we could talk about uh, as we go along or perhaps in the book spoiler section. Uh, we will have a small book spoiler section afterwards so that people who know the whole story can talk about that stuff with us in feedback or what have you. Uh, in the meantime, as I've probably exhibited, I don't know much about this story. Holly knows much more than I do. Uh, but I do know something about Lauren Balfe's score. Friend of the podcast, Lauren Balfe. Uh, thank you very much, sir, for your retweet of my coverage of your uh, musical anthology last week. I really appreciate you uh, giving it your endorsement. That was very nice. Uh, here's what I had to say about these episodes, which were just epic as far as the score goes lots of new treatments of old themes and we got a couple of other new themes as well this is a long segment folks 16 minutes and 20 seconds so skip that much if you're not into the music oh my goodness so much great stuff coming from lauren balf in these two episodes, I was thrilled. So many callbacks, so many wonderful new themes as well, some of which we covered in the prior podcast, where I covered a lit, just a smidgen of the musical anthology. It's really hard to talk about things in a context where everybody can enjoy it, and I'm not giving away spoilers, but I had a good time just calling those cuts. Now I can give some of those cuts, at least two of them, a name as we get into things but first i kind of want to go through the stuff that we already know and the wonderful new treatments that lauren gave some of the themes that we know and the first one i want to start with is probably the first theme i ever talked about way back when i covered the musical anthology from mr balf for series one the cut on that anthology was entitled lyra child of the prophecy and it's Lyra's theme. It's been used throughout the course of the series. I love it. But one of the things that was most interesting about the original anthology version is that it was interlaced with another motif that kind of crosses the bar, meaning that it goes longer than the measures of the melody of the theme. It didn't get used in this way with Lyra's theme a whole lot throughout the course of the series. But there was a point in th these episodes, and I'm thinking if it's at like about the 56-minute mark, and I'm using HBO Max timestamps here, but somewhere right around the 56-minute mark uh, where we have Father Gomez setting up the spy fly and all of that stuff. By the way, 
Uh, just to point out, Mrs. Coulter426 tweeted at me that she heard the Spy Fly theme in that same cut. By the way, Lauren has put out a whole volume one of the music that's actually used in the episodes. So you don't have to just rely on the anthology anymore. You've got the actual recordings that were used in the television series. And the cut that Mrs. Coulter 426 is referring to is called Find Her. That's also where you find this wonderful, wonderful version of Lyra's theme coupled with that motive that I was talking about. And if you think back to season one or series one, to the episode where Lyra was traveling north with everybody to try and save the children, there was a shot right at the beginning where Serafina's demon was watching the people traveling north and was telling us about a prophecy. So that's where I call this the prophecy motive. But I love the way that it fits with Lyra's theme also. And again, you can find this in the Find Her cut on the Volume 1 Series 3 of His Dark Materials official soundtrack that Lauren just put out on Tuesday, December 6th. The figure that I'm talking about sounds like this. And then if you put it on top of Lyra's melody or the way that her chords are played, uh, it really calls me back to that first anthology recording. So here's what it sounds like together and the way that you heard it in the episode of television. Another callback, which I love, we heard it once in the first episode, once in the second episode of Series 3, is Yorick's theme. I love Yorick's theme. It's so powerful. It's so bold. It's not extraordinarily complex, but it just sounds wonderful with the low brass. Lauren Balf uses low brass so well, and French, French horns down. He uses so well. I guess I'll just play the theme for you and then tell you where you can hear it in the TV show and in the soundtrack. Love that. And one of the instances where you hear that uh, going back to episode two is, of course, when York comes and saves the day for Will and Lyra when they're getting pelted with assault rifles uh he just jumps across and and as he's taking the guys out you can hear that theme happening there uh that cut on the official soundtrack which i recommend that you buy is called the rescue but we did hear it in episode one as well when will was well actually right before will interrupted york when he was taking out the townsfolk for capturing one of his bears that particular cut is called The King, because, of course, York is the king of the bears. And then once York stops and Will challenges him to respect and he throws his helmet down, Will brings out the knife and cuts through the helmet. You actually hear the subtle knife theme, which was introduced in season two. You hear the melody of it, not really the chords of it, not big a buildup. That sounds like this. 
Love that melody. It's got big leaps in it. It's wonderful. Uh, feels kind of exotic as a knife from another world that can cut through worlds would be. The final callback, of course, is one of my favorite themes, one of the first themes that I also covered talking about Lauren Balfe's music for this series, and that is, of course, Mrs. Coulter's theme. Now, something I want to remind you, and I said this in the prior podcast where we were covering the musical anthology, there's a certain amount of dichotomy that Lauren uses with most of his themes, actually. He makes it so that both the melody and the harmony represent character separately, which is something that a lot of composers do, I suppose. But Lauren really does it well in the way that he will take a melody and sometimes reharmonize it in different ways in order to give different emotional context. At the same time, he will sometimes take the harmony from a character theme and then place a new melody over the top. And both of those were kind of in exhibition in this particular episode. One version in the first episode, he used the melody and he put different chords underneath it as we were fading away from her at the chapel, outside the chapel, and then uh, seeing that Baruch was working the alethiometer to find her. And that piece was really complex. I wouldn't have time to figure out how to play it on the piano. So I'm just going to play you the melody. Just go back to that scene and listen for how the melody is. And by the way, if you want to listen to just that really neat version of the melody, other than in the episode itself, find the cut, the lighter side, I think it's the third cut, on the Season 3, Volume 1 official soundtrack to hear it in its full glory. This one where we feature the harmony with some really nice cello work as well can also be found under the title um, Mother's Protection. And it's when Mrs. Coulter is talking to Will when he the first time he meets her before he decides to leave to kind of bait her a little bit so that he can come back and sneak Lyra out of there. And there's just this little melodic figure that just goes on the top of it. And there's no melody in there. It's just the harmony in this. And again, some really nice cello work. But that sounds like this. So those are some wonderful treatments of themes that we already know. And if you're having trouble remembering these themes, I mean, we've got like 30 episodes of podcasts to go back through with my musical analysis on them where I break them down, tell you what they mean, all of that good stuff. But the previous podcast episode that we released, I looked at the musical anthology for series three before we had any episodes, and I went through five cuts. And two of the five cuts, or at least parts of them, not the actual recordings, but those themes themselves appeared in these two episodes for sure. One of them happens fairly near the beginning of episode two. Again, I'm using an HBO timestamp, about 423. It's when Lyra wakes up from her contacting with Roger. And now, because Roger has told her where he is, the land of the dead, I can tell you that the title of that cut is The Land of the Dead. And we hear a little bit of that melody just as she's telling Pan about it. So I'm just going to play what I played for you with the anthology podcast that I did last time. I, 
it actually doesn't work with the arpeggios the same way. It's actually just straight chords being played underneath the melody. But the melody is really creepy, which is appropriate for the Land of the Dead, right? It sounds like this. So there you go. There's just a little bit of it. And another one of those five cuts that I covered was called Azrael's Republic. And I had mentioned that it was about Azrael or something about Azrael. And I think that's really is going to be an Azrael theme, to be perfectly honest, because of the way that it's used. It's not used really in the context of his place as much as it is used throughout the course of these episodes as him. Now, the cut that this appears in most prominently, and it appears through again throughout many parts of the episode, but the strongest one, the one that was most beautiful to me, was the last time at the very end of the second episode on the official soundtrack of Volume 1 for Series 3. It's called Safe in Your Arms, and it's coupled with a theme that appears to be Lyra and Will's love theme. And that also appeared in the anthology as well, Cut 14, Love Across Worlds. But that's a big, grandiose version. This one's a little more subtle, but one thing that I love that Lorne does for both of these melodies is the fact that he uses what we call counterlines. As something goes up, then something responds by going down. Uh, it's not really a call and response so much as it is just kind of like complements the harmony and makes everything much more complex. But in case you didn't catch the last podcast, this is from the end of the episode. It's actually when Azrael first arrives on the island and lands the intention craft. And then him and Stelmaria start looking for Lyra and he ends up finding Mrs. Coulter instead. But with the counter lines, it sounds like this. beautiful melody and it's got nice shape and really works it's in a minor key because Azrael's kind of a dark guy he's looking for Lyra she's not there he's not looking for Mrs. Coulter well wait a minute now he's got her in his lap so uh things are a little darker for Azrael and the counter melodies are the lines that go down as notes are being held out by the melody like this Now, what's great about this is that this continues as we shift the scenery to Will and Lyra sleeping and Lyra reaching for Will's hand, which is a beautiful moment that made me cry for reasons. And I loved it. But this is a beautiful melody. Again, Safe in Your Arms is the name of the cut. Or if you want to go back to the musical anthology for Series 3, look for the cut Love Across worlds which oh my what a name for what a title for a track right and it starts with just lyra reaching out to hold will's hand i love it 
But the counter lines continue as the melody for this theme is being played. And this theme is really nice. And I'm not going to break it down too much until we get a much fuller version of it. But I just love the way it was treated here. So here's what the melody sounds like. And again, you can hear how the melody notes are being held out. And the thing that makes when long notes are being held out, something that helps give them life, give them emotion, give them movement, is to place these counter lines underneath them. But one of the most beautiful things about this cut is the way that it finishes, the way the episode finishes. We've had all of this minor stuff going on. Minor is usually a very serious, and it can be sometimes scary, sometimes sad, but just think of your more serious emotions. We typically get that kind of feeling when we hear minor chords or things in a minor key. But one of the things that's beautiful about the way that this piece ends is that it actually ends with a major chord. Major chords tend to give us hope. They tend to make us feel happy. And when Lyra and Will are finally back together again and they're holding hands, it is an absolutely beautiful thing right and it's hopeful and so ending everything on a major chord brings a beautiful end to the episode and i'm going to play that for you and bring a not so beautiful end to my musical analysis back with holly to talk about the story in just a minute Holly, I'm stealing an idea from our other podcast, uh, which is the fact that uh, when we did our House of the Dragon coverage uh, this season for the podcast Before the Dragon, uh, along with a crew of great other folks, uh, we started doing talking about the stories in terms of just little segments that we call the tiny wheel of topics. They are the wheel is so tiny that sometimes it's hard to read. Uh, what's actually written on the wheel, but we do our best. Usually I depend on Holly's eyes, which is very scary considering that my profession probably uh, dictates that I should be able to see better than her. Nonetheless, uh, we're going to spin the wheel right now and let you uh, in on our little game here where we try to discuss these topics. Yeah, Holly, Holly I can't read that. What does it say? Uh, the prologue. It's really weird that this tiny wheel landed on like the topic that would be the first thing we would talk about on this podcast, like normally. But yeah, it's log. Um, yeah. Interesting. The prologue. So, uh, how did you feel about the prologue? Because I honestly felt like that. Um, it wasn't telling us anything. I guess there was some new information in it in terms of the fact that we learned. Uh, that you know god is just an angel uh or, or at least the authority is just an angel and he's got a devil on his shoulder and that's about it uh you know we we finally got zephania zephania had already told us a lot about the knife at the beginning of season two i guess it was cool to have her come back and do that again but 
I just really wasn't that impressed with it myself. Now, how did you feel about it? every at the beginning of the first episode for every season so it just felt like an you know closing loop um i i'm i'm not mad about it i actually think it was helpful um especially if you know you're watching the show but maybe you haven't read the books or like you don't really get this information until around the time the characters learn it um right now that the authority is not actually the creator but an angel so you know um just a little bit different there than maybe what if you were just making that direct like christianity connection um so i think that's a little helpful but then we you know talk about just kind of like the history of the angels and their what had happened um that's good background information we just really really learned about angels kind of at the very end of uh season two so probably nice to kind of get started especially since we're actually meeting angel characters uh to kind of give us just a little bit more background um and in kind of an economical way um because there's a lot of history and there's a lot of worlds and there's lots of other characters and new things that uh, we met in these first two episodes and others that we have still yet to meet um so yeah that's how i feel I, I like how it kind of does flip things on its ear in the fact that Christianity thinks of the fallen angel as evil, whereas here we're perceiving the angels that were cast out of uh, the kingdom of the angels uh, as actually being the good guys, right? So I, I, I like that. Um, and again, it comes down to this fate versus free will kind of thing. But the thing that I don't like about that is... Here you have somebody who we've been told is uh, destined to end destiny. To me, that's just kind of this oxymoron. You know, it's like if they're if they're if there's if they're fated, then have you really defeated fate? Even if it gives you a choice of free will from then on, I suppose that's what the argument is supposed to be. Um, but it seems kind of like this silly little conundrum that just rolls around uh, philosophically. Uh, to me that just keeps running around and biting its own tail um that's just me though i think you know i'm i'm kind of crazy about that like i said i wasn't that crazy about it i didn't hate it i don't get me wrong i didn't hate any aspect of this particular episode um this would be a great time for our maybe show only viewers to chime in and let us know what they think of the prologues um over all the seasons or this particular one if they found it helpful um you know just to other people think I agree. I, I can read this one, Holly. It says Roger, Roger. Uh, Roger, Roger. Uh. Roger, Roger. Danger, danger, Roger, Roger. Uh, you are in Deadland, Deadland, evidently, uh, as we learned in the second episode. But in this particular episode, uh, first of all, uh, Lyra needs a new pair of pajamas whenever she visits the land of the dead. Uh, showing up in the same outfit all the time is sure to turn everybody off. Secondly, uh, seeing him in the intake line, that was the one that got me, uh, where he was saying, how, you know, and that she was trying to get to him. And and the, the opening one was just, eh, it was okay. But the, 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 the one where he's in the intake line, it's like, that's, imagine, that's exactly what I imagined the line to hell being, where you don't have a choice, you have to keep walking forward, and there's a big turnstile, and once you cross that turnstile, there's no coming back. Looks awful. Looks awful. Um, man, I love Roger. I love Roger so much. And I really hate 
that the only thing that has really kind of bothered me about these episodes is that he looks like an NBA player. He's he's too I love the way that Daphne Keene and Amir Wilson have aged little by, you know, little by little. It's a little more, it's a little more noticeable this season. I think it works really well for like the story and time passing and the importance of what the story is actually about. But Roger also being aged up really bugged me. It's the only thing that really bugged me in these episodes. I I almost, I mean, I know they couldn't because, but like, mm, I wish they would have used maybe for this scene, you know, these, the, these dream scenes, like these, oh man, I don't know if I'm getting spoilery, but uh, like, I wish for these dream scenes, he would have been like little Roger that they would have shot those you know at least his side of it um back you know back in season one times uh because it just seems weird that he died but he kept growing uh it's a i think the height is one thing it's it's the voice i was like oh no he's deeper yeah mm, it doesn't even he barely sounds like roger anymore and it makes me so sad i don't i don't love it but i mean it is what it is and i'm really glad that the actor can come back for the role and work i really want that for him but yeah this that's a dumb gripe maybe but it, it did it took me out a little bit i got it that's that's the only reason why i bring it up yeah no i totally agree he shouldn't even come up to the chest of some of those people he was standing around if he was the same roger that he was uh back in season one uh and uh instead he's towering over a couple of them but yeah like i said he's an nba player now now they went well, around that pretty well in season two because you did just hear his voice until that post credit scene at the end of season two and that was just a close-up so you couldn't really get a, a reference as to how much he he right uh, aged his voice his face actually still looked fairly young in that shot so uh you would expect death to age you uh but yeah, not that much yeah. good point good point <laughs> especially if he's been in that place the whole time so all right i'm okay i'm glad we found a workaround for this to make <laughs> make it a little easier to swallow yeah, yeah. Oh. I think that actor is really great, though, um, and I'm, I really am glad that he's back, and I feel terrible for even having that as a critique, because um, it doesn't seem fair, but um, I don't, it, it did take me out, so I had to say it. Yep, me too. Uh, spin the wheel. That one's too many words, and it's printed too small. Holly, what does it say? New, newish credits, newish music arrangements. Hmm. There are some things that were in the new credits. I mean, the newish music arrangement, I think the lyrics were different. Uh, what little lyrics there are in that, but I'm not even, you know, who does that kind of stuff really well? Our friends over at Girls Gone Canon podcast, Holly, they, they tend to find all of the Latin and all of the translation, or usually Lauren himself will tweet out what the heck it means and what the heck it says. Uh, he has not done so as of yet, however. Uh, he may be waiting for the BBC audience before he does that. I hope not, because we'll practically be done by that time. Nonetheless, uh, that may have been a little bit different. Felt like there was a little bit taken out of the arrangement, to be perfectly honest with me. Uh, I didn't talk about it in our musical analysis segment, so I thought I'd bore Holly here while I do it here. But uh, that's pretty much my comments on the music arrangement. Now, there were lots of new things in the credit sequence itself, just like we got with season two. There were new additions like the knife and what have you, uh, the Chittagazi stairs. Um, Now we have things like the intention craft uh, that we see Asriel flying around in in this episode. 
we have uh, this new world that's kind of in the center thread, which we I don't think we visited yet. So I don't want to say too much about that, except in the book uh, section. Uh, it looks like uh, there was a depiction of an angel kind of in the square box. I was wondering if that was the same as uh, Alarbus. Is that that angel's name mm. that Azrael captured? yeah i didn't even two. catch that until i read your note and uh and i haven't actually gone back to check it but that's a good catch right on and i don't even know what i have here with lot d um you we, this land of the dead i took me a minute oh. to figure out what you meant by that too because i was like i was trying to make a hot d like i was trying to connect it to house of the dragon yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah land of the and then dead I, and then i saw it further down I, you typed land of the dead i was like oh duh that's what it is <laughs> So I outsmarted myself there. Um, Holly, <laughs> Holly uh, always figures those kinds of things out for me. Thank goodness. Uh, appreciate it. Was there any others? I didn't. I don't know if I caught anything else that was new. So I don't remember if you mentioned this. Maybe it was something you said you didn't want to talk too much about. But like it's the you know the long panel view that we zoom in on. Like it had been kind of different in the first two seasons. I will say the one we zoom in on this time has been present in the. Uh, in the previous intro, just not in the center just, band. And it was just not in the center band, and we didn't like focus in on it because I clocked, I clocked that one early, early. I remember seeing that, I'm like I know what that is. That is season three stuff. I will just go ahead and reiterate one more time that this is a really great, great intro music opening credits theme i it's so so good it's very powerful and it just builds and builds both as you're watching it and then each time you hear it subsequently i feel like it just like it, it becomes bigger inside of me every time i hear it and especially like coming in and watching the premiere i was the tardis Right. Um, I'm not making any sense, but yeah, it was really great. I love the theme song. I think it's kind of maybe underrated because not enough people watch the show and get to hear how amazing it is. Well, I will tell you, Holly, I think that you are completely right. You're not making any sense. So let's spin the wheel. <laughs> what does it say, Holly? I intend to get one of those crafts. Talking about the intention craft itself. Uh, don't understand how it works. I do understand it's connected to dust. I do understand it can go through different worlds. Uh, but, and I guess just kind of like Lyra has to clear her mind to use the alethiometer. Will has to clear his mind to use the knife. Uh, that's how the intention craft works. It, it attracts dust and works in that way. Uh, I don't like the fact that, uh, Stelmaria has to coach Azrael on how to use it. And then he ends up crashing it anyway. Uh, I would never crash one of those things. First of all, I'd never get it off the ground because my mind's always too muddy to be able to get anything off the ground. Nonetheless, uh, I thought it was cool. I thought the crash was cool. Everything that followed with Azrael and for the rest of the episode, eh, I'm okay with. But uh, I did love the the use of the intention craft. Uh, and also, the road to hell is paved on good intentions, right? So uh asriel uh be, being a guy that will see some of the things that he does in the next episode that i did not approve of uh regardless uh i feel like uh yeah that uh the intention craft seems to be appropriate uh especially an appropriate name for for him using it what did you think of the intention craft did you did it meet your expectations with what we the way it was described in the book 
Kind of, yeah, with the weird spidery leg oscillator things that are back. Um, yeah, sort of. It didn't, It when I saw it, I knew exactly what, what they were doing. Um, I, I, terrifying. Um, I, I'm not a, I am not a person that is afraid of flying, but I do have a very healthy fear of helicopters. And that thing is a helicopter that is powered with intention. And no, I mean, that just seems like way helicopters are easy enough to crash on their own. Like what happens if you like you get distracted and you're going to die? Like, no, you know, like it's cool that it can travel between worlds. That's pretty neat. But otherwise that is a terrifying machine to me. Um, I will maybe just take this moment while we're kind of on the Asriel subject to ponder if you thought any of this or even uh, some of the Captain of Gunway stuff was things were things that were in the missing Asriel episode of season two that we did not get. I don't think so, because I think that uh, the way that they wrapped up season two uh, was him actually approaching the fallen angels and i don't think he'd gotten anywhere close to to doing anything else i think that was his first call and i think that that the missing episode would have just shown us his adventure getting to that point as well as uh kind of explaining how the specters uh got out as Uh, well that would be cool i really uh, kind of just go back to what i said something i said earlier i really feel like something we're missing uh, from kind of the book but also the series too is just how asriel got all of these things you know and like i like how did he hook up with the galavespians how did he um how did he create how did he come up with the intention craft and then how did he make it like for, it, it was just him and the world you know like at the end of in the ice and back at the end of season one and then he went into a world all by himself and then now he has, has all these friends and i just want to see how we get there i wish we had more so much more Asriel time um it, maybe that's more of a criticism of just the series itself and like what we don't get but i want to know how he's bankrolling everything i want to know how anybody in this place is bankrolling anything right how mrs coulter is bankrolling staying on an island and still getting this little girl to go get her food and stuff how how she's been able to to manipulate and evidently still keep an apartment where father gomez can get that dress lyra's dress and use it as a spy fly or use the spy fly to to assess it because that was Lyra's original blue dress from season one, right? That the spy fly was checking out. Maybe their world doesn't have capitalism because we don't see them like really go shopping or like we see them like eat at a restaurant in London. But oh, maybe we know they do go shopping back in season one. I forget. Hmm. I don't know. It is. It is weird, though. Yeah. Right. Uh, so how how and not only that, but I mean, you know, he had to kill a kid to get make that first door open. Now. He uses his own his own demon uh, to open up the next one. I, if I was Stelmaria, I would say I'd say you want me to bite down on that? Screw you! That's what I would say uh, when he's trying to open the door to to show a gunway what he's what he's been up to. Uh, but that's just me. I mean, he's made some serious advancements uh, since he was writing things on that window in the north a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, and I think I'm just overall curious of how he got there. Yeah. And why he has had, I want to see why he's had zero time for Lyra. 
<laughs> well, if you're doing all of that, <laughs> when do you have time for anybody? Right. <laughs> oh, well, let's get to the next wheel of topics. Or is there anything else on the intention craft? Okay. Or did do- we even fully explain like what it does or like it just, it just goes where you want it to it's powered like the alethiometer and the knife uh, but it just it it can go between worlds right um or can it just go in one world it can go well I, I think Ngomwe's world is different than his own right or where he has uh oh, his, yeah. his republic of heaven as opposed okay. to the kingdom of heaven so I think that and it's separate from Lyra's world, and he ended up showing up there at the end of the episode, second episode. So yeah, I guess I feel like we missed the jump between worlds when he went to go get Lyra, or maybe I just missed it. Um, so yeah, it, I didn't. I, I they didn't put maybe all they didn't the, show it. They didn't have the special effects budget to do it twice yeah. in two I'm, episodes. I suppose too many, too many demons to yeah. create. They can they can make it fly across the sky, but they can't add the bright <laughs> lights to it. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah they had, they had to make cl- more uh they had to do more close-ups of claymation vespians okay i hope that's the next topic that comes up on the wheel because well, I let's didn't... spin and see let's spin <laughs> and see uh it does it did land on clay claymation vespians i can read that that's one that's word so it's big letters uh so uh, let's look at this, and and this is the, I I don't know how they're doing how they're doing the animation or whatever, and and th- th- there's obviously motion capture of real humans at some point, and I, it even looks like actual people in some ways, but there are just things about their features that just seem blank and weird, and on top of that, their wings just look like a bunch of solar panels from Skylab. I don't know it's probably too dated. You guys probably don't know what Skylab even looked like. It fell to Earth probably before before some of you were born but uh it just it i i did not like the design of the galavespians i don't know what i expected but i didn't expect that holly it just it looks just too fake hmm. okay um i have minor gripes too uh but i can get move past them um but I just I saw claymation vespians in the dock and I'm like, did I miss something about how they made this show? And I was like, they did not make these out of claymation and put them in the show. I was like, what is he talking about? And I made sure I went back and that actually I had missed the behind the scenes stuff that is up there for it's only it looks like it's only in episode two uh, on the HBO Max app. But I made I found that because I was like, where does it say this? Like, let me, what? Uh, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what, I didn't get the joke of the doc. Um, but now that you say it, like the way the faces are blank. Yeah, I, I kind of get what you mean. Um, yeah. And the uh, motion is a little weird. It's it is. Yeah, they have wings. They're like dragonfly people. But that's my gripe is that they look like Skylab solar panels. They didn't. They they needed to save money. So in the books, guys, um, these uh, they are little people, um, kind of like Lilliputians, I guess you could call them. Uh, just basically Lilliputians like, with Skylab wings. Okay, but not in the books. They don't have wings in the book. In the books, they hatch little dragonflies and they ride dragonflies around they're so small that they ride dragonflies like like right like dragons it's really cute and awesome um and um and that and they decided to just kind of combine the two i guess to be economical and 
you know i, I get it they got they got enough little animals to have to animate and flying dragonflies with humans on the back um but you know i, I get it i get it it's fine i'm okay i'm okay with the change i i, I get it I'm I'm looking forward to seeing more. I'm really glad they were included because in a different time with a lesser budget, that could those could be characters that were completely changed and rewritten. I I really admire how close and true they are trying to stick with the story as well. They wild already took the dragonflies away. They did take the dragonflies away, but they they kind of combined. Like, look, like I said earlier, we're not even done meeting different kinds of peoples. Um and who the possibilities of endless worlds are endless um so i'll take i'll take dragonfly galavespian combo uh for just if we're gonna get as much as we're gonna get i'm fine fine spin the wheel what does it say holly the red corner yorick burnison i think i know that bear yeah I can't say his, I can't ever do a, a speech to text thing with him ever again. I tried that. Not even Bernison came out right. Uh, but I do love this scene. I love uh, that he's just coming to get one of his own. Interestingly enough, the cut that the score for this is called The King, which is so appropriate for York, of course, because he is the king of the bears now. Uh, but he's coming to save one of his bears that got captured. Uh, and then will why challenge him like this? I mean, I know that I, this happens more or less in the books too, kind of in a different way, but it's, how does he, it, it does will think that this is the only way that you can get York's attention is to challenge him. I mean, York told him, get out of the way, child. I, I, if I was, will, I would want, York to do his business. I'd watch it. But, well, I guess, you know, he's a stand-up guy and doesn't want anybody innocent getting hurt. Yeah, you... it's a weird it's a weird approach, but that's pretty true to how it goes down in the book. So, I mean, it's just it's just Will. And maybe Lyra has just told Will enough about York Bernison that, that Will kind of have, like, maybe the best way to approach him. Um, you know, he's going to, if Lyra's told him, yeah, he does know about Lyra. I mean, York because he says I think I know that bear so yeah he knows he would never win in a fight and he he uses every his knowledge that Lyra gave him to kind of outsmart him in the battle and uh I you know R.I.P. that beautiful sky iron helmet though um I mean he just cut off he just cut his like head soul <laughs> yeah have we talked about uh Ama enough uh, because I love the way they did the sign language and all of that stuff. Um, very respectful to the deaf in, in the way that it, all of that was portrayed. Um, even Will, who did not know sign language, uh, knew how to communicate. I thought all of that was great. And what a wonderful little character um, who, like most of us, uh, gets fooled by Mrs. Coulter at first and then figures out uh, just what kind of a person she is. <laughs> I loved her just saying, what kind of mother would do that? And Will has to tell her uh, in the second episode, don't trust me. She's she's very cruel. <laughs> That's the kind of mother she is. Uh, so I, I love that. But uh, any other thoughts on Alma before we move on? 
I, I was completely enchanted by her from the from the jump. Um, they did make a change to the character, I believe. Like, the character in the book was a non-white character, I'm pretty sure. Um, right. And it's loca- it's in a different location. I just can't exactly remember. And then with all the worlds, it's even harder to say. <laughs> all the locations are, like, kind of different. But um, I thought if they were going to do... If they were going to make a change to that at least we did something like this uh with a hearing impaired person and i thought that's really great representation which we don't really get um a whole lot of um in tv and i thought it was really beautiful that i i thought it said something about marissa that she knew sign language and was able to communicate with her but Mm -hmm. then i thought it was also like you said very endearing that like will just still spoke with her um normally you know so she could read his lips um but and also the way Balthamos was able to just also communicate um and sign language with her and just that connection i, I, I don't know i loved it it was really the girl was just so adorable oh my god so adorable just want to protect her at all costs like throw her and grogu like in the safest spots in the galaxy and just keep them keep them safe you know like I, if anything happens to her, I'd I'd be heartbroken. And when she jumped on that, oh, I guess we're jumping ahead. Um, but yeah, like she's precious. Oh, loved yeah. her. Yeah, result so of one of my top five favorite character moments for sure uh, for the episode. Again, this is like you know I think in a different version of this adaptation that the Ama character could have easily been like written out or like you know changed uh, like in a different way I, I really like that they kept it like this um and it just once again highlights marissa marissa's mothering abilities and how she can just show and pr- like put out like this all this love that she has but it's so like not what you think oh god she ruth wilson is incredible man god i can't get over how good she is Friendly Father Gomez. Maybe uh, we should think about how unfriendly Father Gomez actually is. Uh, this guy, what a creep. I know you said that you had a lot to say about him. And I think even just these first impressions that you get of him, let alone what happens in episode two, uh, I just think that this guy was... Oh, scary. Perhaps the scariest magisterium person that we've seen so far. Yeah. And it may be due to recency bias. Um, However, this guy looks a little bit. So I I say at at first glance in the trailer or when I saw him in a trailer, I said, is that Fabian Frankel? And then seeing him close, I was like. (laughs) God, it does not. It's not Fabian Frankel, but man, he looks a little bit like him, like enough to where I'm sure they were probably in the same like audition, like waiting room with a bunch of other guys that look exactly like they do, um, you know, for for various roles. And then his voice also sounded like Fabian Frankel from House of the Dragon, like from certain parts of House of the Dragon. And I was just like, oh, no. So so if you have not watched House of the Dragon with us, uh, 
there's a character named Kristen Cole, who I very much dislike, as do many, many people. And um, Father Gomez both resembles the character, sounds like the character, and in general is just an awful, gross person like the Kristen Cole character. So, ugh. It's not a, it's not a good start for Father Gomez and me for sure. Blech. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our podcast covered is before the dragon. Don't forget we're on the double P. So be sure to check out the Joffrey of podcasts uh, on the YouTube, same YouTube where you find this podcast. YouTube.com slash c slash the word double the letter p the word media. Uh, they do a great job covering House of the Dragon as well. In fact, I'm pretty sure that. Uh, I spent much more time listening to their podcast covering House of the Dragon than I did to my own. And I edit the thing. So that tells you <laughs> something right there, uh, just because they're funny. Uh, so be sure to check those back videos out on the Double P Media YouTube. This guy, I mean, I don't know. This guy just gave me the creeps, even in the first thing. And of course, he would use a spy fly because it's one of those despicable. Yeah. And he tells McPhail, it's like, well, like it might be frowned upon. It's a little unconventional, a spy fly, which is what uh, Marissa used also to try and track Lyra. Don't you die on me, please. I am famous for great audio. And that was some great audio there. Me sounding like I'm dying. Some kind of allergy happening here. That's a fine for me uh, for coughing and hacking through a podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, that's the way that that will go. Cool. Where did it land, Holly? It says the double Bs. Uh, double Bs? Baruch and Bathalmos. Oh, the angels. Angels. I loved... Uh, the angels i love the way that when when they first appeared just kind of like okay they're kind of glistening like they've got glitter on them that's what i thought it's like oh they look kind of glittery uh and then uh the thing that really sold them for me was when uh baruch left and uh turned uh you know he kind of phased out as he was flying away I loved that. I thought that they looked fantastic. I loved their relationship, uh, which was, again, uh, one of my top five character moments for this two episodes. Loved the fact that they are in love. Uh, Bathalmos, kind of a jerk sometimes. Kind of, well, no, let me put it that. Let me put it differently. He's not a jerk. He's just a little bit too literal with things, I think at least in this first episode, right? Yeah, I I kind of think that's like how angels are though. Um I'm I'm super glad we're getting these angels and I agree with you about how they look. I think the way I mean, them being made of dust so them kind of like dissipating and like the dust remnants, the glittery dust remnants left behind is really great. In the books, depending on their class of angels, uh, like, because there are different classes and hierarchy of angels, right? So depending on where they are uh, is, like, how well you can see them. So I think, uh, I, okay, 
I, I, I have read the books, but I, it's been a, a minute. So I, I'm pretty sure I have this right, though. Like the higher ranking angels, you can see them much better. Like Zephania, like in the books, would be described as like she's like glowing. You can see her all the time. But with Baruch and Bathalmos, uh, Will describes them as like you can't really see them sometimes, especially when it's really bright out. And like kind of the best time to see them was like during the dusk, uh, the way like the light would kind of go through them. So they obviously didn't want to do that uh, for the show. So they just kind of but I like how they still incorporated that look as part of them, like kind of phasing in and out. Um did you enjoy the Gangel kiss? I love. I of course I enjoyed the Gangel kiss. And that that brings me to my next point. And what I was responding to what you said is like you you thought he was too literal. I think that just kind of they are they're a lot like humans. They have a lot of human characteristics characteristics like the emotions, but they are like galaxy brain human so i like it's kind of i guess the way i think of them is like they're like dr manhattan i guess from like watchmen like that kind of like level that that's he just thinks too big for small little human things but i like that but they love they can love each other they have you know relationships and they care for each other and have emotions and they just live a really long time so they're very human uh except they just are, are like super big picture thinkers so nuance and subtlety you're kind of lost on them and i think that's why maybe too literal for you i think uh in in both the books and in the show which did did, i think uh faithfully adapt the relationship here but i always felt that bathalmos was maybe a little bit too dependent on baruch yeah again code the codependent like i i feel like that's the crazy thing about the angels in this thing is that they have a lot of the negative parts of being human as part of their personalities and their existence just like we do um so they feel you know all of those jealousy and and pain and hurt and all of all of that stuff i think it makes it super interesting um and you know relatable in a way that you didn't think they we could relate to them um but i'm not a very religious person but for some reason i'm always interested in shows like this um or things that kind of deal with religion stuff even if it's not very religious um and so i think it's the angel hierarchy thing is really fascinating to me and um uh, i like how it it's its own lore here and the rebel angels are like you said alluded to earlier or like the good guys and um and uh and the authority angels are like the empire it landed on the double m the double m oh here we go mother marissa dot 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 our Uh, favorite part of the podcast is more ruth wilson praise all right so why don't you go ahead let's get some ruth wilson here oh i feel like i don't i don't know uh I don't have anything more to say that I didn't already say she was my top moment. She was just incredible, incredible acting, incredible. I, I, I should hate her, but I can't anymore. Like she's just so dang good in this role. I agree. I agree. There, there's some weird things about what Marissa is doing to Lyra and the way that that relates to what's happening to Lyra to me. Here's a question that I wonder if TV show people are asking Uh, at the end of the very first part of episode two for this series, 
Lyra finds out that Roger is in the land of the dead, right? And and so we know that Mrs. Coulter has been drugging Lyra to keep her asleep. But also at the end of episode two, or at the uh, end of that very first part of episode two, Pan says that he couldn't reach Lyra. He couldn't feel Lyra. So was Lyra actually that close to death? Is what Mrs. Coulter is doing actually drugging her that close to death? Or is Lyra just able to communicate with Roger throughout this episode and the next episode simply because, you know, she is obviously got all kinds of talent with dust and could have that have that have something to do with the land of the dead. Now, I think that personally that it's just Lyra and her connection with dust. But I wonder if people who are watching this show just as a television show are asking these kinds of questions. Would you think that a television show person would be asking this kind of very narrow-minded question the same way that I just asked it? I guess I didn't think about that aspect of it too much. Um, I like I like what you're you're saying about her being drugged and maybe like kind of on the verge of death. I kind of like that interpretation. I don't know if that's accurate or not because I feel like we... Was she, she was hearing Roger, like she's been dreaming about Roger since she left, like since she got to. Well, she's she at least been him. hearing his voice. That's for certain. Yeah. But she didn't actually see Roger until the end of season two, that post credit scene. That's we true. just heard Maybe... him say her voice uh, when she first crossed through the world mm. from from her world to Tizagaze, right? And I also wondered, well, obviously they're messing with dust here when they're crossing between worlds. So I still would just wondered if it was Lyra's connection to dust that was making it possible for all these connections to happen with her. Or if it was the fact that uh, Mrs. Coulter had come that close to killing her. I don't know if it, it was her coming that close to killing her. I, I I think another critique on this, maybe like that, if she is asleep, how is Pan able, able to have like conversations and um, like with, with Mrs. Coulter and, and I, and I, and I, 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 I somewhere. And uh, I, I, you know, I didn't think too much about it. I was like, oh, whatever. I feel, I feel like there's stuff in future books um that, kind of indicate that like maybe a demon can do some things while the human is asleep anyway but um but it would also kind of make sense that maybe that was when pan wasn't with her in the dream um he was able to he was kind of maybe awake while she was asleep and in that in the land of the dead uh dream and he couldn't follow her there so he was just awake and talking to mrs coulter and like begging her to wake him up so i don't know um he seemed, it's hard Pan to say. seemed very distressed about that. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he I, couldn't follow her. I was distressed about that. That was really heartbreaking. A little moment for me. I I didn't like I didn't like the way I, I felt. I didn't like the way Pan felt. And I was really sad. Really sad. One of my probably my my saddest moment in that episode. I just I I felt really, really sad for Pan in that moment. I don't like the fact that Pan's voice has gotten deeper also. I wonder if we saw Pan's voice actor, if he would also be an NBA player. But Lyra's growing. Okay, well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like Lyra... Lyra definitely has more of a lady body now. uh, A young lady body versus a young 
tween body um and like not that they did anything revealing i think it was just a little you know it's obvious and i think pan's voice getting dark deeper kind of goes along with that for me all right so everybody's uh in their sprouting stage at least as far as human demon relationships go we still don't understand why ghosts are that way (laughs) the dead uh what else about mrs coulter anything i i i could not stand marissa manipulating a deaf girl and the way that she manipulated her that just drove me crazy i love ama for giving her the benefit of the doubt and believing her uh i loved the anguish that ama had when she discovered what was really going on uh you know but to me that that actually uh sold me more and more against marissa even though it's clear that even though she doesn't know any other way she is truly trying to protect her daughter yeah She's trying to protect her daughter from this prophecy. She's trying to protect her daughter from this magisterium that's trying to, uh, you know, circumvent the prophecy. Uh, there's all kinds of things that's going on there. And But if the only way that you can do that is to keep your girl asleep, uh, you know, it's just this really convoluted uh, exhibition of love to me it's just really convoluted i don't know uh, it's hard for me to out of I- she's out of ideas and places to turn to and like i mean that's all she can do she don't have she doesn't have any help and lyra's just gonna run away from her like i i get i i, I get why she's doing it i don't condone it i don't think it's okay but i completely get it and dang it's again she's just so good and you you hate her for manipulating alma and i'm just sitting there like i don't like that she did it to her but i'm just like watching her in awe that like she is can she can just keep doing this to kids and like she we know she's well practiced and charming those kids so that's how she yeah. got a bunch of them to bullbanger so yeah. like ugh, you know like poor alma, alma could have gone through so much worse um marissa was actually pretty nice to her she just lied to her and put salt in her. Oh, I'm getting ahead. Uh, never mind. Yeah. Oh, well, I uh, was. I the one thing that I always love is how uh, Marissa is always surprised when someone shows her affection. When Ama mm-hmm. gave her that hug, uh, again, Ruth Wilson sells this so well. But uh, you know, Marissa is just she's shocked, like. And she's not disgusted by it, or at least that's not the way I read it. It was just, she was just shocked by it. Oh, this is is what it feels like. It's nice. (laughs) If only my daughter would do this. Oh, wait, she can't. She's asleep. I drugged her. It's time for my favorite game, Holly's second least favorite game, uh, right behind three words. Uh, It's time for what's worse. What's worse. This is a game that's kind of like high school debate team. We pose a question. There are two sides to it. One person who gets to ask the question gets to argue whichever side they choose. The other person has to argue the opposite side, no matter how ridiculous that other side may be. Holly, do you want to ask a question first or do you want me to ask a question first? I'll go first. What's worse, being threatened by Father Gomez or just being 
bra hobble. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go with being threatened by Father Gomez, and here's why. Fra Pavel is a librarian. It's Essentially, that's what he is. And librarians are important. I know that you think that they just sit around and they know a lot of stuff about books, and they're supposed to have all of the answers. But librarians actually have to do a lot of research. They have to do things for you to help you make sure that you have the right answers. Fra Pavel is, in fact, the world's, of Lyra's, best librarian. What thanks does he get? He gets threatened by this guy, this upstart. This upstart who evidently uh, talks about flogging himself or, or at least beating himself up or, or doing his penance uh, before the day starts so that he's made sure that he's covered all of the sins that he's about to commit. And this guy is creepy. I mean, that, Father Gomez is a dude who uses spy flies. He his very eyes suggest um, that he might torture you and take you into his bed all in the same swell fell swoop. In fact, to being taken into his bed might be torture. Uh, I'm saying that being threatened by Father Gomez is worse. What do you say to that, Holly? I say just by being Fra Pavel. Fra Pavel is going to get threatened by Father Gomez. Done. <laughs> Mic drop. Bye. That's, uh, that's all you've got. That's, that's real. Existing as Fra Pavel just means that you're, you have nothing but Father Gomez's uh, in your future for the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, I, I, I definitely picked the wrong, I, I mean, yeah, you, you got the winning argument there. I really like rats and Fra Pavel's got rats. So, um, it's hard for me to argue that it's it's worse to just be Fra Pavel, except by the fact that he's Fra Pavel and then all of the argument you just made about him being threatened because he's going to be threatened because he is just Fra Pavel and he's going to Fra Pavel his way through the magisterium, alethiometer and and get make everyone mad. And he's going to McPhail, Father President. That's very good. That's very good. Uh, folks, we will put it on the poll. While Twitter still exists, you will still get these polls asking uh, what's worse, and you can uh, vote Holly down. Let's move <laughs> on and spin the wheel. We have spun the wheel for episode two. The wheel landed on the Baruch period. <laughs> ah, like the Baroque it. period. But the Baroque it. period, we barely knew you uh we got a kiss from you and then all of a sudden an angel just decided to fly right through you and make a big hole in you uh alarbus was that other angel he was one of those unexpected visitors and i, I guess the only unexpected visitor to be perfectly honest uh so I, I don't know what's going on there but uh i hate that we lose i and i know that we lose baruch in the books as well or that stuff happens I did love the way that angels die. God, is that a sick thing to say? It's, it sounds weird coming out of my mouth. Uh, but seeing the way that angels just kind of dissipate. Like the demons. Yeah, like the demons. Um, They're all made of dust. 
Very good point. Excellent point. So I love that. Anything about the attack or anything like that uh, that you wanted to talk about, Holly? Um, I, I didn't get a chance to really rewatch this episode very closely. Um, so I, I do want to go back and look at the the fight stuff. Um, but I did, you know, notice when I think it was both Thomas was just talking about his connection and um and then we see Baruch getting to his destination getting to Asriel's location but you see the angel behind him at first I was like is this the way Balthamos is like looking like and with him he's like seeing him through his eyes behind him I was like or is this somebody bad and then um I it, the episode confirmed later that it was somebody bad um that was like creeping up on him um following him uh to Asriel so that was it was kind of cool to see Angel fight though um and then they land and it's like a missile uh landing so that's um interesting I guess there's things that um are kind of like described in the books that you can't really imagine until you see it and I guess an Angel fight is one of those things for me but I was I thought that was kind of neat yeah I I kind of like the light show myself uh as far as the 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 <laughs> Uh, the almost literal fireworks that were going on in the sky. Uh, I did feel bad for uh, Baruch. Really shook uh, Bathalmos. I mean, seriously shook him to the point where I don't know that I like Bathalmos much by the end of the episode, the way he just flies away. Um, that's just uh, a, a little bit too look at me, Louis um it's a little bit too uh not thinking things through the one person that you love that gave you just one job and you're going to bail on it which you know if it was right as soon as it happened that's when i would understand it but you still go through all of these paces and then will says now i'm going to cut go back and cut holes through the world uh, through the worlds and and go and get Lyra and that's when you decide to bail what's going on there Holly again the angels are lots of human characteristics especially as far as their emotions go and I think he's this is how he's grieving and um, he's like clearly in maybe like a denial stage right now or but he he and I think you kind of hit it on the head earlier too when you said that their relationship was maybe a little codependent because both almost doesn't know how to be anymore. And but I don't, it's kind of, I mean, you're on the one hand, yeah, I do agree with you. He was acting, you know, like really weak in that moment and he needed to be strong for Will. But if you lost your person, your significant other of 400 years, I guess you could the way he described it it was like almost each other's demons you know like they were they thought of each other as one and then you you lose that part i mean that's the grief is gonna hit hard when you have a relationship like that and a bond like they do um so you're yeah, saying it is, that it's when... also frustrating to see like both almost like just it does seem a lot more weak compared to maybe how some humans might deal with their grief um, and just running away so quickly and being a coward. He just doesn't know what to do. So you're saying that Bathamos's grief was 
just something that he was at first in a little bit of denial of. And then when it really hit him, that's why he left at the time. I, can, I mean, I think I can, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. So he's lost and he thinks whatever will doing, it doesn't matter anymore because his world doesn't matter anymore. He just lost his world. Yeah. Okay. I, I can see that. It's just that, you I know, can see Bob almost being one of angels that is like just gonna go run and hide now because like like um what's his face was telling Azrael Alarbus sorry um just like he was saying to uh the other one that has a weird name Zephania (laughs) Zephania I'm gonna stop talking (laughs) I don't even know where to go with that uh spend a week I don't know where I don't know where I'm at either. Where did it land, Holly? Bringing a broken knife to a gunfight. Hmm. Yeah, well, we could kind of tie this into it with some stuff that we talked about earlier about Marissa also. But, um, I mean, Magisterium coming down with, with Father Gomez uh, doing his thing with Marissa. And then you've got Will here who's being very slick. You know, cutting into everything very carefully and and making sure to close all of his holes and all of that stuff. Um, except it seems to me that if he was going, he has to cut out of Lyra's world into this other world, then go across, then cut into Lyra's world again, then get Lyra, but they don't. And he closes that one, but he goes, then they go out a different way because Lyra says so. So I guess they have to go back to that original hole that he cut in order to be able to get back. And now that he's closed that hole off, how are they ever going to get anywhere else again? What is Will doing? I mean, I mean, I, I know he's desperately trying to protect Lyra and, and, keep any pursuers from coming didn't stop a gala vespian a claymation vespian from being able to get through a hole that it shouldn't have been able to get through because will is already clearly closing it uh i guess uh they can fly sideways pretty thin i do like uh stomachia is that how you say that name stomachia uh, stomachia lady the lady stomachia stomachia salmachia lady stomachia yeah, better call Saul Macchia. All right, that's excellent. So, uh, yes, so I I did appreciate her doing the sting on Mrs. Coulter and everything. Um, I did appreciate her just uh, communicating with Azrael. Wasn't that telegraph cool too? That you know, the, the lodestone you know, resonator. Oh, I I yelled. That is exact. Those words is what I yelled when I saw it. I said lodestone resonator because it's the thing in the book, and it was really cool to see on the screen. So yeah, yeah that was neat. That was neat. I liked it. Yeah, me it's too. Dusty. But I mean, so now Will is stuck in a world that with a broken knife, I don't think he can get out of. I, I guess he can try and find a way to repair it, but I don't know how he would do it without any help with somebody who knew the knife. And the only people that would probably know anything about the knife would be a Chittagazi, and they're long gone because they've been eaten by specters or run to the hills. And, he, well, and he's got a, a mini flying Skylab with him. 
also. Uh, but uh, I guess she can use the uh, lodestone resonator to communicate to Azrael that everybody's fine and safe, right? Because Azrael shows up at the end and uh, expecting to find Lyra, and all he gets is the, the consolation prize of his ex-wife. Maybe they can take one of the shards of the knife and make a tiny knife for the Galavespian, and then she can cut through the world. Ah, 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 <laughs> ah, ah. Wow. <laughs> but, but she's not a bearer. She's not a bearer of anything except Skylab panel. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. Does Mar- is Marissa the knife bearer now? Is who? Marissa Coulter, because she made him break the knife. Oh, but she didn't take the knife from him. She didn't take the knife. No. Oh, yeah, it does have to be taken physically. That's right. Okay, okay, okay. It's not Harry Potter. It's not Harry Potter. Okay, got it. Yeah, although there was a Harry Potter reference uh, when she first, when Marissa first comes up on Will, uh, sneaks up behind him when he thinks he's got Lyra all to himself. Uh, she says this chamber has secrets or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, so I, I love that. Uh, or at least I think it was a Harry Potter reference. Uh, I don't, I mean, the chamber, I don't know. I, I didn't hear it as a Harry Potter reference. And that is literally the title of a movie if she said those words. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, anything else about Will? What What have you got on Will here? I, I love... Again, I loved his relationship with Ama. Um, I loved his relationship with York. Uh, and uh, the fact that uh, Bathalmos at least stuck around long enough to realize that the sunroot would help wake Lyra up because I don't they just have to wait for it to wear off otherwise, right? Yeah. And Amir Wilson's doing a really good job. Uh, yeah, that's... he he's really good. He's I really like him. I think his all I like the way he deals with everybody. He takes kind of a different. It's like he always knows the just the right approach to take with everyone. Um, and it was so smart the way he played. Uh, Coulter, yeah, so that's smart, so smart. And I was even surprised to learn and see that like, oh, she was she wanted him to stay and it and it didn't work and i was just like oh my god miss Coulter almost never <laughs> loses so just to get outsmarted by will again it's fantastic i love it but she got she got him in the end with the knife though unfortunately gosh she got in his head man well and who, mom. it's not a cool man it's like don't talk about will's parents to will that's a sensitive subject okay yeah, he's lost his dad and his mom. He, he at least that he knows that his mom is with someone. Uh, at least in the television show, is with someone who is um good for her, right? Because didn't he get told that at some point in season two, maybe? I think we know she's safe. Or, oh, I, I know what it was. Lyra told him she read the alethiometer. Uh, yeah. And it was when they were still in Will's world, like at Oxford, I think on the bench, uh, when she was reading the alethiometer there and she said, uh, this guy is good. So she's safe is yeah. what he, she had told him. Yeah. So uh, at least he's got that. But just the fact that he, I guess, probably has abandonment issues in regards to his dad, even though that's kind of got a little bit resolved, even though he that... did have a lot of tension there. Uh, when he first saw his dad, but 
uh you know he feels like he's basically doing the same thing to his mom and that really messed with him and ended up breaking the oh, knife yeah well and then well all of that those he is insecure about all of that and then she basically calls him out on it and 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 makes him feel makes it worse makes like explodes his guilt for abandoning her um oh it's awful and then she has the audacity to be like what did you do like i wanted to put that was the one moment i wanted to punch her to be like you're goading him he breaks the knife and then you have the audacity to ask what he did like no ma'am uh-uh that was you that's all you. you you broke the knife he was holding it but you broke it yeah well not only that but then you know she pulls a gun on him and says get out of here please you know, basically, don't make me shoot you because You're the one thing that now. you were useful to, to me for is now no longer available. Uh, so yeah. she really, she really showed all her whole hand there. Um, so I'm not yeah. gonna have much hope for getting help from Will in the future. I wouldn't think hmm. so. That's for sure. Uh, so uh, now I guess uh, she's. I don't know what's Azriel gonna do with her. I don't know. Do you so? We're at this point. I mean, we know she she I, I'm glad they didn't go with Mrs. Coulter, but it would have been kind of interesting if they did, you know, because what is she she doesn't want to bring Lyra back to the magisterium. She's like she's a bad mom. She's done terrible things as a mother, but she's I think she's fully on board with like keep my daughter alive and away from the magisterium now. Um so Oh, she's totally convinced that she's protecting Lyra in the best yeah. way possible. Which so, is deluded, and I mean, you know, it's delusional in its own way. But uh, I, I don't think she means any. That's why. That's why they're allowed to walk. You know, or why uh, Salmakia gets her chance to sting Coulter in the first place because right. Lyra walks in front of her and says, and says, "Please let me go," and she's not she's definitely not going to kill her own daughter because that's what everybody else wants to do, and obviously she doesn't want to do that. Um, so, uh, it is, right, but I think now, like, she's not really opposite Asriel as she was in maybe like back in season one. So now that Marissa's kind of swung away from the magisterium, it will be interesting to see how her and Asriel get along or don't get along. And maybe we'll get a little bit of insight into why they work it out. <laughs> That'd be interesting to see. Uh, it landed on Mary makes a pit stop uh, and timing is everything. Uh, that's a lot of words. And I was able to read that. What do you know? Um, and you know prescription? So not exactly where I expected us to first meet Mary Malone, uh, but that's coming from a book perspective, which I'll put in the book section. I'm just saying that, you know, for her to show up just a few minutes after a gunway and, and, Asriel and the others have evidently left. What great timing. If if we could all just get on the same page for once, uh, we wouldn't have near as much story to go through. But she stops and she talks to two people from Ngumwe's army that decided to stay behind, I guess. Um, and she's doing a whole lot of talking about, you know, you gotta be you. I wasn't all that impressed with I, I would love to see her. I just feel like it was a waste of good screen time for her. That's just me. What did you think about Mary's uh, visit to uh, Ngumwe's world? Which I'm still trying to figure out what that world that is. Um, I guess it's not. It's a 
totally different unnamed world. Have we even heard the name of that world? We haven't even talked about Ngumway that much, but I like him as a character too. Um, I, I don't remember the like defining characteristic of that world. Like it's, I'm pretty sure they're like a no demon world, but I don't know if they have anything else weird or wait, a Gunways. Are they from, I feel like maybe the Galavespians are from the same world as a gunway but maybe no that's not no not in the television show anyway okay when they came to free him he said you and your friend you know thank you to you and your little friends so i don't think he had met them maybe uh, it's like our world but just kind of like adjacent to our world like not real like more like our world but not our world um their church is called the temple the temple yes okay um don't really know much is the is the point i don't think we know much from the books either yeah i i never was quite clear on where he was actually from this is the second time that mary has run into young ladies and hung Mm -hmm. out with them for a little bit on their journey on her journey so um but i liked this for I agree. She didn't do much again, but this is just more of that world building uh, that I personally am getting a lot out of. Um, it's helping me for like, that's more of a gunways world, even though we don't see a gunway in it. We see what kind of people they are and what they're dealing with. And um, another theme across all the worlds, in addition to like the demon severing uh, does seem to be uh, this thing with women not being able to have, like be educated be very well educated because those girls even brought up that if um they like their life because even if they went to the temple uh they wouldn't be able to read and do what they are doing now so even though their life is hard they at least have more freedom as women so i think that was i liked that aspect i like that that's not really something sure. from the book but it's a it's a nice little pattern that we're seeing in the show as they go from world to world uh, in addition to the children severing um just the general treatment of women um it's interesting yeah anything else on mary no um i'm happy to see her she's just such a comforting presence on screen and I it's funny uh, I I guess we didn't really talk about it much but like reminder from season two she's the serpent you know like that's something imagery that we just associate with evil and badness but um the way, once again wrapped in goodness yeah the way she is like she's just like such a wholesome sweet pure person um I I love her so much she's the best she really is the best um, and kind of going back to that thing I was talking about with tracking the women, like she was the most free woman of, of all of the women characters we've met so far, you know, like she could do her science. She, nothing was inhibiting her from pursuing her goals except for money, because that is the devil in our world. So. Okay. I can read this one too. Lyra could change, use a change of clothes in the land of the dead. I mean, it's those same triple P's, pair of purple pajamas all the time, everywhere she goes. Uh, She doesn't seem to be able, even when she wakes up and she's in slightly different clothes, uh, when she wakes up, it seems like the, you can't go to the land of the dead unless you're wearing your purple. Um, However, 
Uh, we and we've already talked about a lot of these things. Her standing up to uh, Marissa uh, when she's holding the gun on Will, and Marissa is trying to give her a chance, give him a chance to leave. Uh, mm-hmm. But I love that uh, the defiant Lyra that we know and love uh, comes back when she's finally awake enough to do so, and says, uh, "You know, please let me go." I also love that uh when salmachia says you have the knife i'll take you to Azrael," and the first thing that she says is no we're not going there uh i love that now where are they gonna go well right now they're stuck in a world that we don't even know what world it is um uh, and it's the only world that we know that they're in or, or have the capability to ever be in again but uh at the same time uh, it seems like that there's a mission in mind. She did promise Roger that she was going to find him um, and help him, right, in the beginning of this episode. Uh, so is that why she doesn't want to go to Azrael, or does she just hate Dad? Or both? I think she just, I think she both probably, but um, take away from Lyra on this topic, but um, it just, I now I just started thinking about Azrael's, um, like how how Azriel interacted with fatherhood in these first couple of episodes uh between like a gunway uh talking with him about his family especially when they return and uh, he watches a gunway uh be reunited with his daughter and the love that's there and the way Azriel is watching and he's like oh that's so sweet and like oh like how nice but he also later when they're talking about lyra it's like oh your daughter your your daughter's involved and we're not gonna go find her you don't care and like nah like she's fine she don't need me like she's mm-mm. she's got just it's strange watching yeah. Azriel like look at the father the good fathers around him and basically feel nothing feel no guilt for how what kind of a father he's been um and even doubling down and and and, and is not caring for her you know until he know until he finds out that she has the knife and then he's like okay yeah let's go right yeah um not unlike the way that marissa uh has intentions to use will uh it seems that he has intentions to use his own daughter uh which could still be a very much a clashing point uh for him and marissa once she finally wakes up mm-hmm. um so I, you're right that's setting up a very interesting prospect to see some good character stuff there and maybe see some what if we get one scene of james mcavoy and ruth wilson at the end of season one yeah i, I think uh that's so a good the, scene though oh my god it was Ew. a really good scene so if we get more of that stuff especially if there's fire between them over lyra or, or anything like that um it'll it'll be fantastic to see for sure lyra's gonna need so much therapy you when, know. All, when this adventure is all said and done with like oh my god the 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 trauma the trauma so much trauma from her parents interestingly enough and i guess it's probably just because she was drugged so much and we'll probably see her be a lot more active and everything we didn't get a whole lot of things with daphne Keene or with lyra you know other than her trying to escape once um and being scared and then at the end when she's standing up to when she's standing up to mrs coulter and um 
and of course the the big moment where she holds will's hand yeah. um, wh- one thing that i love is the fact that you know this girl's been asleep for a long time uh, or drugged and, and barely probably just woken up enough just to eat and then put right back under so i think will really is tired and wants to actually get some sleep and she's just wide awake she's right. wired, she can't sleep. man <laughs> Like, oh, no. I'm so I'm not tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that, uh, but uh, I of course love Lyra. But I just felt like that, you know, uh, these two episodes felt much more like uh, Azrael, especially it seemed a lot more Azrael of an Azrael kind of two episodes than it seemed any other character, uh, and how he's building so. this up. Um, and like you said, it kind of fills in a gap that we, because when we see Azrael again in the books, he's already built all of this and there's not really that much of an explanation of yeah. any, I mean, Ogunway's already there. The Galavespian's already there. So it is cool to get this information kind of filled in to me, at least from a book perspective. And, you know, maybe they're taking some liberations with it. Maybe they're not. I don't care. Just uh, give I'm always the person that's like, you know, to me, even as a, poorly told story is better than not having any story at all don't leave me to my own devices don't leave me to my own imagination because it's just too crazy holly can attest to that and again Um, with the with the tv series like what what a perfect opportunity to like use those times in the story where it might be slower or you are like waiting for stuff to happen to just go ahead and like build out some of that stuff it's gonna make everything more impactful much later anyway so nah not me skip ahead and, no, uh, like to say skip ahead. Double P you know, classic right there. Yeah, it's that that's a Joffrey podcast <laughs> classic, uh, especially when they get to food descriptions of George's books. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, if you have any thoughts, just like we do, we want you to share them with us. Be sure to tweet at the Dust Podcast on Twitter. Send emails to Matt's Audio Blog at gmail.com dot com. M A T T S Audio Blog at gmail dot com. You can use that same spelling for Hive Social. You can use that same spelling for and leave comments at the website, mattsaudioblog.com. You can leave comments on our YouTube videos, which are on the Double P Media YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Or you can just do youtube.com slash the at sign double media since we have these new fancy little handles now uh and our podcast actually has its own special little playlist where you only get his dark materials videos uh, i suggest that you don't just visit there i suggest that you visit all of the great stuff they're covering 1899 they've been covering all of the great star wars shows they've been doing a great job just covering everything so just cover it all by subscribing to their channel hitting those like buttons on everything and commenting on everything they do because you know like I said, 23,000 views of a Babylon Berlin video still only get you a steak at Ugly Lou Betty's or Lou Betty's or some some fancy restaurant in Atlanta. So let's uh, let's do Bubba a solid. Let's make him millions of dollars so he can actually afford that mansion that he's already purchased. Just go uh, to Texas Roadhouse like the rest of us, Bubba. <laughs> budget. Budget, Bubba. <laughs> Double B. All right. So uh we spin the wheel again right spin spin triple triple m triple period triple m triple m and then there's like more double m's under the triple m 
more more mother marissa masochism monkeys wow okay that's a lot wow wow okay that's a, that's too many m's for me to keep track of <laughs> i know that catfish does things like septuple m's and septuple septuple things i can't keep track of all of it uh what do you want to say about uh mother marissa this time around I, we've already been talking about it a lot in relation to the other characters yeah so i don't know um, if there's a whole lot to add like i said no, i really loved it when demon monkey got to hit her in the head i uh, loved that she gave him the opportunity when she says give it your worst i was like what is about to happen and then she handed him that rock and i and the monkey celebrated you know uh, what good good for the monkey well deserved poor thing's been beaten a lot again always worried about marissa's um mental state <laughs> i will say that you know even though we didn't get to see the monkey hitting her in the head uh, that cut that she showed Father Gomez. Ooh, uh, I see those in ER all the time. Oh, know? I'll say it, it was wasted. Um, that that free shot from the monkey was wasted because I think it was working up until Father Gomez made that move to go inside and then she flinched to jump up and she mm, she messed up. Yeah, she done goofed. Yeah, she couldn't hold her poker that face. Was, that was it, man. That was all. And then he, we, everybody knew in that moment. Everybody knew that was it. Was over. It was over. God, that was so great. Um, so all that was for nothing because she messed up. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. One last topic here on the wheel. It has landed on Azrael's angel torture, and we've already talked about Azrael a lot. But uh, let me just ask you this, Holly. It's the game of sweeping the nation where Matt and Holly will decide on situations in the show that they would actually show up to see. Holly, my prompt cards here says that you're from the South, that you're a wimp when it comes to cold, and that you love animals. So, uh, with that said, your first question comes to you, contestant Holly. Would you show up to see Azrael torture even if it's an bad angel this alarbus or whatever would you show up for that would you be a person who would be like yeah i want to see that happen i know that nobody else but star mario was in the room with him at the time but that just i couldn't do that to anything i, I couldn't i don't care if it is war there's a reason why you know we put a whole bunch of nazis in the ground after the Nuremberg trials. Nuremberg trials. I, I it torture is just not in my thing. I, and I really disliked Azrael after this. How did you feel about it? I mean you you mean you disliked Azrael more than you already did? Because he's I think his cause is noble. I think he's a terrible person leading a great cause. Yeah. Which has been true from the beginning um, for him. No, I would not want to be bear witness to any kind of torture at all like you. Um, It it was weird and upsetting. But also, again, a new perspective that we don't have from the books. So very fascinating to me at the same time. Um, When and how did he know to build this like again I 
I'm, that's I think maybe that's my my little nitpicks is like at, when did his you understanding of Gus has like things. become exponentialized to a point that just doesn't seem fathomable, right? Even if he's super smart and understands dust, like does that also make him an engineer and all of these things that he's able? I mean, maybe, maybe, but I, I just don't see it. Like I, I feel like he's. I don't know. I don't see him actually. I don't know. Obviously, he has to be hiring people to do this. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get how he comes up with this. I feel like he couldn't do all of this alone. He would need other experts in the field to help him build these things. I think. Well, and just the name of that metal. I can't remember what name he said. It started with an A. I. I, I it sounded like adamantine, which so I was just thinking of Wolverine the whole time. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. Which would be great, considering that uh, wasn't he the one who played Wait, the uh, adamantium? Maybe. Hold on. One of them. I think they said adamantine, and maybe Wolverines are adamantium. Or I have that flipped. I don't know. I might need to rewatch. But yeah, that was my thought. Well, my point being is that since he played uh, Professor X in uh, in the X in the X Men uh, prequels, it would be great if it was the same thing. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and then we have Daphne Keen and Logan, so <laughs> we got a little full circle Marvel. Yeah, there you go. Thing. It's it's all interconnected. In fact, uh, his Dark Materials is actually set in the uh, Marvel universe, not the Marvel. Yeah, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, universe is the is the mutant. It's just the mutant world. Um, so Will just hasn't found it yet with a knife. <laughs> exactly. But uh, you know, that sounds like an expensive metal. Again, mm-hmm. where did he get the money to build this thing? Uh, how did he know that this is the metal that contains dust? It's all just crazy. It's all crazy. But no, I would not show up for it. What's worse, losing your millennia long love or flying away when the person that your love assigned you to needs you most? All right. I mean, obviously, what's worse for everyone is the second option, flying away after you lost your long lost love when the uh, person that you were assigned to protect needed you the most is the worst because now you are hurt and so will and York Burnison and the knife got hurt see that's what happened the knife got hurt that's worse Balthamos leaving it's also it's marissa and Balthamos' fault that the knife was broken Mm, okay all right that's a very good argument um and and compelling reasons which are completely wrong and here's why Balthamos is all obviously all about me right so what do you think is more important to Bathamos when it's all about you? When it's all about Bathamos, what's worse for him is losing Baruch. Once he loses Baruch, it doesn't matter what else happens in the world. It doesn't matter whether the world falls apart. It doesn't matter whether uh, what Enoch slash Metatron, as Alarbus calls it, doesn't matter if he wins or loses or anything. It's over for you. So, I mean, how could anything be any worse once you've lost 
your millennia long love. I, I just feel like uh, maybe we should put that to the poll, ladies and gentlemen, at the Dust Podcast. Look for that poll on the Twitter feed and vote for it. Vote for Holly. Vote for Holly. Vote for Holly. <laughs> uh, so uh, three words is next. I got to make them up now. words this is where you try and describe the episode in just three words don't give me seven words in a hashtag don't give me dashes in between 15 words don't give me 17 sets that end up making one long sentence just give me three words three words to describe the episode that's what i am asking for that's what holly always produces in about 30 seconds when she realizes that she hasn't come up with three words for her segment Here's what my three words are for episode one of series three. Uh, I'm going with a double S. Double S? Yeah. Sign language slithering. That's a triple S. It's not because there's only two S's in there. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> at, at any rate. Uh, not even really a double S because there's an actual word in between, but this is a catfish like thing to do. Uh, you know, he does all kinds of weird things with the doubles these days. So I got to find my own path. Got to find my own way. Uh, but this is obviously, uh, this episode, Mrs. Coulter showed her best and her worst all at the same time. Uh, she got an undeserved hug and was surprised by it as we might all suspect. Uh, and she's very good at sign language. Huh? Who knew about that? But she's slithering around as per usual. Loved it. Uh, what's your three words? My three words for the first episode are clear your mind. Which is what Stel Maria told Asriel to do and what I just had to do to come up with those three words. Excellent choice. Now it's time for uh, the second episode of our two episodes set. Uh, no chance for you to rethink this. Uh, what's your three words, Holly? Bear on boat. Oh, okay. It was a polar bear on boat. That's all. I just went simple this time. Sorry. I went fast. That was what I got. Bear on a boat. Bear well, on boat. I, I'm going to regurgitate something I said earlier in my ratings. And uh, I'm going to, my three words for this episode is uh, triple M. Triple M. Yeah, mangled magisterium mercenaries. That's cheating. You can't do that. What do you mean I can't do that? You it's three words. Yeah, yeah, but you can't use your your rating as your three words. Why not? I mean, normally I, our rating normally our ratings what? are doubles. So, uh, and guess I guess what? I just I'm never participating in three words anymore because I'm going to do it in the intro. Boom. Bye. Uh. Mm. <laughs> I have another three words. I have three words. I have a. Can I share three words I have for this podcast that um, I did not make up, but our good buddy, um, fellow podcaster at here, the double P media uh, came up with. And I love it so much when it gets said on the other podcasts. Matt's music analysis. That's, That's so funny. Analysis. That's like Catfish it, says. He did, no, he does a quadruple M. He does Matt Murdock's musical analysis. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I like Matt's musical well, analysis. It's clear that you don't actually listen to any of the company products. Uh, so maybe you should be fired. Um, 
Okay. Good luck getting the host next week. All right, bye. Good night, everybody. Three <laughs> words. What are submit your three words to uh, add the dust pod on Twitter while it still is round. Eliana, our friend from the Girls Gone Canon, who is at a arrhythmetric. Is that how you say that? Arrhythmetric. The only person who submitted three words this week. Viva Magenta McPhail. Uh excellent i did like i did like his new position his colors uh his uh simultaneous evilness and buffoonery uh for mcphail which we didn't really comment that much on but he kind of seemed like a tool he, he actually father gomez seemed to manipulate him uh pretty well this uh, uh these two episodes right yeah i i agree with you um I, I don't have much more to say. I th- I still think three seasons later, it's just really endearing that a father and daughter are on the same show, uh, even though they don't really share any scenes together. I, I think it's sweet. And uh, as, as I was watching the end credits, they um, I think they did alphabetical order for the cast, um, like by cast, you know, name. They did alphabetical order, so seeing uh, their names together next to each other, it was just it was it was cute. I liked it. Uh, I will see. I I don't think of him as Daphne's father. I just think of him as a as the character who is a persona of their name, McPhail. Sounds <laughs> like a great McDonald's product, um, mm. for a complete failure of a person, mm. right? So I love it. That's all we have for three words. Remember, we want yours. The only way you can enter the contest and win. Oh, where did they go? I don't even know where they went. They're around here somewhere. The only way you can win those Funko Pops is if you submit feedback. How do you submit feedback? You send tweets to at the dust podcast. You email mattsaudioblog at gmail.com or hive mattsaudioblog. Or you can uh, comment at uh, the website, send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, all that stuff. Uh, which we've already said many, many, many times uh, this podcast already. So don't uh let me hold you up anymore but we do have uh some feedback from people who will be entered into our contest can we get the feedback out of the monitors please eliana's entered into our contest she probably doesn't want to be but she's entered into our contest as are dragonfell uk alicia cb and birdnut 95 i love cassidy cassidy's great uh all three of them just gave uh, uh some tweets in regards to our uh, uh my musical anthology score but uh unfortunately uh Jonathan uh who's at Dragonfell UK he said another wonderful musical analysis for musical concepts without getting spoilery for his dark material series 3 sadly i won't be joining up to listen this season since BBC 1 will be so far behind everyone else will be listening once we get to ep two after christmas we can catch all of our back episodes and since you are uh I, maybe you're not privy to the bbc iplayer but if you are then you're going to be ahead of us in a couple of weeks anyway so look forward to that at least uh jonathan alicia brenner 
uh, at Elysia CB, who has now entered our contest, said, I listened to your pre-analysis of the season three score, and it's a fascinating breakdown. I'll definitely be listening for season three and going back through the older episodes as I have time. Who would ever right have enough time to go? Thank you, uh, Elysia, but who would ever have time to go through all of the back episodes of everything that I do? Uh, the, the season one rewatch podcast, you probably don't want to mess with those uh to be perfectly honest it's just me and it's me uh just commenting as the episode plays and it's not very interesting but that's you know i can but i can bash my own podcast right am i okay am i can i do that holly can i do it (laughs) (laughs) oh no i killed him i killed matt he's dead matt is dead uh (laughs) matt is dead uh Cassidy, we love Cassidy at birdnut95 on Twitter, uh, says, always love Matt's deep dives into the music of his dark materials. And this episode really got me hyped for the full soundtrack. Cassidy, remember that there's already going to be a soundtrack for each week. Uh, Lauren is releasing uh, a volume one, a volume two, a volume three, and a volume four as they air on the HBO, for which covers the first two episodes, the second two episodes, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Uh, Lauren also gave us a nice uh, endorsing tweet uh, earlier this week when I released this podcast. Thanks very much to him. I don't think he wants to be part of our contest, but guess what he does? He has lots of contests as well, where he uh, gives away really cool things, signed scores uh, by cast members from all of these huge movies that he does and everything and he always does them for a good cause so be sure to check out his twitter as well uh that is lauren balf uh on twitter and uh laurenbalf.com to find all of his socials holly we finally made it through I know that uh, it's been a while since you've had to do a podcast alone with me. I know that that is a rare and wonderful experience to have. Uh, Thank you for joining us this time around. Uh, Any final thoughts about the episodes or uh, about what's going on in your world anywhere? Uh, Even though you've been fired from the double. I've been. I well apparently I died on the House of the Dragon podcast. I don't remember. I don't recall dying. I think I died. I think I was uh, riding on. Oh, never mind. Let me not spoil House of the Dragon. I'll just stop. Anyway, I'm alive. Um, in House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones related news, which is where me and Pat Matt first started podcasting together. Um, I'm going to the HBO official Game of Thrones convention in Los Angeles this week, uh, which is the week of December uh, 7th of today of 2022. So that's happening. It's going to be exciting. Ramin Jawadi, they just announced it's going to be there, Matt. You got no. any questions for me to ask him? If I no, meet him? No, no. Ramin is cool. Yeah. I'm not going to harass him. It doesn't doesn't matter what uh, it doesn't matter what answer he, he would give. It would be too cool. It'd be, It'd too, be cool too cool for my question. So should I uh, not I have, even approach? Like just just lay low. Like don't even don't even bother. He's a super nice guy. No, go talk to him. Okay, cool. All right, uh, but yeah, so that's where I'll be this weekend. And then other than that, yeah, just uh, trying to find time in between Christmas shopping and traveling and working a very busy job to watch two episodes of his dark materials a week for the next few weeks and then podcast about it so um 
I will say I have not had the time to kind of like go back into book land. Um, I did reread The Amber Spyglass after, oh, we got to still do book talk, Matt. I forgot. Um, I'll just save this part for later. That's where you can find me. Dun, 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 dun. Book spoilers talk is coming up. After you hear all of our podcast information, thanks for watching. If you are a TV-only person, we thank you for sticking around this long. We'll talk to you next week. If you're a book person, stick around. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Tweet the podcast at The Dust Podcast. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com and find all back episodes and other information at mattsaudioblog.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. You're still here. You're still here. What does that mean? It must mean that you have read all of the His Dark Materials book series, and maybe even the Book of Dust series, which is something I haven't done, so don't spoil me. But let me tell you that if you have not read the His Dark Materials book series and you don't want to be spoiled, don't let us spoil you. Turn off the podcast now. Turn it off now. Now. Why wouldn't you turn it off now? Okay, that's enough. Let's talk about these book spoilers. I have a few notes. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, which probably will infuriate you, Holly, but okay. Here's the thing that I didn't understand. And one of the reasons why I probably even a little bit of this frustration filtered into my show uh, analysis, uh, which I'm sure they have a workaround for this, but if Will really sealed him, sealed them off in that world, there's still got to be some hole open, right? Because how the heck will they get York get to york in order to have him fix the knife because he's the one that's got to fix the knife right they didn't go back to the world okay maybe i didn't do a really good job of tracking like which when how many well, see that's the thing in and out they of. didn't make it clear which world they were in but they definitely were in that blankish just kind of rocky kind of place uh which was definitely not lyra's world that he was using to walk in between the windows in order to get back to Marissa. And we place. know Yorick stayed in that spot he left him in. We're near the boat, right? Yeah, he he told them to he told them to leave, uh, and he was still fighting off Magisterium people when he told. Well, he was taking care of the right. He was starting to get him to some bones to pick, probably. But yeah, he was not. He did not go back through that window with him. So I was under the impression that that world that they fled to was a different world than Lyra's world. So if that's the case, because yeah. he's always he's always counting the steps, right? So he he couldn't, if he was just counting the steps, he couldn't possibly be back in Lyra's world. And that's where Yorick is. So now yeah. they've kind of dug themselves into a story point hole where it's like, how are they going to get York to where they are? Or how are they going to get to where York is if he's got a knife that doesn't work? 
That's a good question that I didn't spend hardly any time thinking about because I just assumed the place they got back to was going to be, I was like, okay, well, York's probably there like somewhere and York's going to fix the knife. It's going to be fine. So no, now I'm stressed about that. Even though I know the knife is going to get fixed. I don't need to stress about it. I know it's going to happen. I have extra stress now. Hmm. Didn't think about that. I was. <sighs> now, my I first, guess there's my... a possibility that he might have left a window open somewhere there that he yeah. could get back to Lyra's rural from. The I just feel like that I have, so though, is that careful. he's been very, very careful to close yeah. all of the holes behind him, uh, Agreed. which is good for not letting more specters out of the place. Agreed. I'm worried. I'm, I'm legit worried now. I don't know how they're going to do that. Does anybody have a book reader? Have an answer for me. Tell me. Tell me as a showrunner yourself, how would you solve this situation? Or do you just think I'm crazy? Please tweet at the Dust Podcast. You can send emails to massaudiobug.gmail.com. All that good stuff. What other issues do we have here? Any issues for you, Holly? Issues? Or, uh, or no, just points? Uh, yeah, I was like, the only issue I really have uh, besides Roger is just like the Asriel. Just just want more. Like, how did Asriel have the means and the time and the ability to do all of these things? Like, that's that's a nit that I like to pick at. Um, ugh, but man, the worst, worst moment, like hardest, like, oh, crap. I'm going to my feelings are going to be so hurt was when Pan talked about not being able to go. Well, like, where'd oh, you go? Yeah. Oh, the, no, I can't. I'm not I'm not ready. Oh, and just I love how they emo emoted uh, Pan in a way that um, he in certain times as especially when Lyra was asleep and he was like talking to Mrs. Coulter. I mean, obviously I guess there's the connection of the drug or whatever would make him that way too, but he actually seemed to be in pain. And I'm just keeping imagining this whole boat trip where they have to separate and, and, and all of that, what that's going to do to Pam. The physical pain they're going to yeah. feel. Oh God. And he, cause he just seems exhausted. He doesn't seem exhausted from drugs. He seems exhausted from something else. I thought that that was a very good animation of that. Um, and when he told Lyra that he couldn't follow her, uh, then I was like, oh, sh okay. Yeah. They're, they're doing it now. They're showing that. They're setting it up. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so well, I'm also really glad that they didn't like make us have to think or worry about where Roger is. And they kind of said the land of the dead, like early. Cause this, I mean, it was going to be hard to even like pretend to speculate like what could possibly be happening when eventually we're going to get to a point where we are just going to the land of the dead. So uh, I'm really glad I don't have to worry about dancing around that anymore because um, she's even already said it once now, right, that she wants to go and try to find him. Did she uh, say it yet? Well, she told him that she would find him and help him, okay. uh, but she hasn't said it to anybody else. She did right. say, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to go. No, we're not going to Azrael, is what yeah. she, she did say. So, um, I'm but ready. You know, you, the, the implied thing for book readers is, of course, we're going to go see, we're going to go find Roger. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's why I kind of posed that question in the, the TV show talk because I wanted people to, I kind of wanted people to hopefully will give us feedback on whether they gauged it in the fact that it was Azriel hate or whether it was, you know, they thought that she was going to 
trying to um, do something for Roger. I mean, oh, Roger. God, so sad. Yeah. Why did you have to grow up, Roger? <laughs> uh, that, so that didn't bother me near as much as the Galavespians. I, I uh, just the I, opposite, uh, way opposite. The Galavespians did not bother me. Roger bothered me. <laughs> I mean, it's the land of the dead. Uh, they're gonna make they're gonna make Lin Manuel Miranda look like he's a white person. We're gonna um, watch them die. We're gonna watch them. Are they? They're gonna die in there, right? They die, don't they? Die in there. I know we like watched the, in the book. They watched like their dragonflies eventually like die. Oh man. Oh, now I'm sad for the Galavespians. Shit. Sorry, I cursed. Oh no. Oh no, I'm fired. Well, yeah. I get the. I get the. Go Just on, in please. time because I'm. I need to go to bed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Here, we'll just wrap this up. <laughs> okay, so the last thing that I've got uh, is well, there's really two things, but uh, one is real quick. That weeks ahead trailer that uh, was at the end of episode two. We've uh, seen a lot. The of shots of shots of a lot of Land of the Dead, uh, shots of Lyra at the abyss, mm-hmm. jumping across the place there. Just it all it gave me just the chills, complete chills. And then I also wanted to say this about Mary Malone. She's been getting we mentioned how she's been talking to these girls and everything. She's been getting lots of practice about teaching girls how to be themselves. Uh, how to life. Is, yeah. I, and I'm not sure how that's going to translate to, you know, kissing boys, but there, there's got to be something in there. Uh, she's practicing being a serpent, right? So Mary Malone hasn't let me down yet. I'm, I'm not worried. I'm really not. I, I I'm looking forward to Malefa too. I can't wait. Let's go. Yeah. Um, as obvious, obviously, there's been photos of those and everything, and we haven't seen what their lower sides look like uh, or what their seed pods look like. Um, I know that the Galavespians don't bother a lot of people, but this really bothered me the way that the, they looked for some reason. Maybe it's just it's just me probably just nagging on computer graphics. I mean, I even said a couple of the shots of House of the Dragon look terrible CGI-wise and what have you. So... I mean, maybe I'm just being a little bit too nitpicky on this, but it just seems to me that if they can't get the Galavespians the way that I feel like would be a little more realistic, I'm really worried. Even even with those couple pictures that we saw uh, from Entertainment Weekly or, or Vulture Magazine or whatever, I'm really worried about what the Malefa are going to look like. Uh, especially if they're rolling around on seed pods. I mean, there's it's a strange, it's a strange world, and these are strange creatures, and so I guess you can kind of accept it as strange. But our human brains aren't trained to see anything that's foreign. Uh, okay, you can't make that argument because that is the exact argument against the dire. Like you're using the opposite argument you use against the direwolves, and we can't go there, and we don't have time. But like you're that argument you're making now, you should be arguing for the dire wolves and having more of them in Game of Thrones because we do know what they look like. And you said that was the problem with the CGI of the dire wolves is we can conceive what a large dire wolf would look like. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. But now you're saying that we can't conceive what the Mulef will look like. So it's going to look weird. Can't have it both ways. Mic drop. Good night.
at Hunt Pants on Twitter for a little while longer until Twitter dies. Bye.